Most of you have uh, caught up on all your viewing, so that way there's not too many spoilers today. So we're going to start with some simple things before we get into the reviews. But uh, the uh, <laughs> the the Thanksgiving gift that keeps on giving, Candace Cameron Bure has made it clear she's not making inclusive content at Great American Television. Now, uh, I don't know if many of you know about this network or what's going on with it. It's a, it's essentially an offshoot of Hallmark. Um, it, it's got a lot of the same people, some of the same actors, but it, it's been very clear from the start that they had a very specific content style that they were going for. Now, can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a free country. Um, should they be making a press scene out of it? No, I don't think so. I, I think it's petty. I think it's stupid. Like, I mean, we don't go running around going, oh, this is this content, this, and we only going to make this content. It's like, bro, like, if you've really seen, like, diverse content, everybody's in it. So, like, we don't go tromping around like, oh, we're, we're going to include everybody and just shove it in your face. That's not that's not how it works. So um, I don't I don't really care that she's going to go off and do this with – essentially like you know her free executive producer pass at this this streaming network um it's it's a very niche audience and if that's what they want to make then that's what they want and then that's who they're selling it to and that's their product do we have to watch it no do we have to tolerate the bullshit that comes out of her mouth hell no but you know what there's a million other things to change the channel too so let's just change the channel and speaking of changing the channel I finally, 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 finally have finished Handmaid's Tale up to date. And man, dude, the mind is blown in just like how everything has just literally like every woman is having their June moment this season. And I think it's kind of awesome. You know, I mean, it's it's been crazy watching just like. What's happened to June, her PTSD, trying to pull herself from the edge of like, you know, wanting to just go murder, kill, frenzy, which is totally justified. But I mean, she did. She's like she's really trying to fight her inner demons right now. She doesn't she doesn't want to do these murderous things. And that's why she's constantly stopping herself. But like it's like it's like soldier at war level PTSD. And it gets to a point to where it even affects her relationship. You know, and then all of her relationships. But then, like, everybody kind of sees, like, okay, all right, we got to let this happen. We kind of have to, you know, there's a, <laughs> there's a certain level of, like, if this is how you're going to deal with it, I guess, you know what? We're dealing with politics and terrorists on a huge epic scale here with dystopian war. Why not? So, like, we finally get to see more support from her husband and her family, but... You know, everybody comes to slowly realize that June is far more hardened than them. And what really becomes crazy in all of this is watching everything that's going on with the commander's wife. Like, she has now been sent back from Gilead to Canada 
because they give her the whole pretense of, oh, you're gonna you're gonna be a you're gonna be an emissary, a diplomat. It's gonna look great, but lo and behold, it's all really just like a teach you a lesson trap to kind of turn you into a handmaid, which I thought was crazy. That like all of that, the way that it all plays out with Jude trying to cross border and come back, and then allies. The craziest of allies occur, but like only for a brief moment. They're fair weather friends. Like and June June makes it very clear every step of the way. So when that moment comes for June to leave her in the detention center, not help her with her baby, her baby to get sucked up by by the crazies that are living north of Gilead. Uh and just like the the whole idea of like now she serves her penance. She's finally unlocked her mind and realized all the wrongs she's been a part of. She feels the pain and recognizes what's going to happen to her baby. And then now, now she wants to change her tune. But now she realizes that she too has to become June. And meanwhile, meanwhile back in Gilead, we, we've got, oh man, Aunt Lydia. And just like to what degree she's willing to change as... Like, all these plans for New Bethlehem come to order. So it's like she has a place to kind of, like, ask for some changes. But are they really just for show, for the commanders? Or or are these changes really going to take place? Because as we come to know Lawrence, is he really a mastermind who tried to save the world and did something bad? Or did he just let bad happen because he didn't care because he thought he was doing right? And we're starting to see that more and more. And I have to say that, like, Aunt Lydia, like, to finally, like, find yourself agreeing with something with Aunt Lydia did, like, that's, I mean, it's it's a far thing to say, but, like, her character progression and becoming aware of everything, at least for the sake of the handmaidens, you know, it's like she stands on the front line. Their, their terrible life can only be so as terrible as she lets it happen. So for the whole idea of one commander being held responsible for diddling a handmaiden in non-appointed hours to actually get shot and then strung up, that's a huge statement for the path of Gilead in this story. So, I mean, are we really going to see in this next season, like, the change in the fall? Is New Bethlehem really going to integrate people in now that, like, Hey, nobody wants to stay in Canada. And just the whole idea of watching Canada protest Americans and treat them like shitty refugees. Like, the the conversation on that, like, if you haven't seen you really need to watch it. Because I think it's, it's a great in-your-face to Americans to kind of see, like, how it feels you know, and, and to watch, you know, and, and it's not even it's not even about a people of color thing. It's not, it's literally just standard like my country is great. Now get out of it because we put up with you for too long. So you're not even seeing like, you know, people picking on each other for race or creed or anything. They know all these people, you know, sought asylum in Canada to escape Gilead. But they're like, now it's not our problem, you know. And so I, I think that that's a great discussion for for those that are open minded enough to watch this show but then are still realizing wow there's 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 a lot in your head to cross and, and to just like really contemplate on the how like your actions affect others in this modern day and age set against the backdrop of this dystopia and what it would be like with you in that place there's a lot of that and i got to say that's this season again worth continuing on 
I I mean, I didn't know where we were going to go after season two, but quite frankly, like, it just keeps, it keeps getting good. So if you haven't started Handmaid's Tale yet on Hulu, check it out. Something else I've been checking out, all the buzz about Indiana Jones 5, okay? There is there is talk of a D.H. Harrison Ford, Nazis in the Cold War. Uh, there was a spread in Empire Magazine. There is supposed to be a trailer coming soon, and I hope to drop it on the feed so that way y'all can comment on it because, quite frankly, uh, I'm stoked. I mean, I know this one's definitely got to be a torch passing, you know, so with all the hype on on Indy's goddaughter and and uh, where she comes from and fits in all this and, uh, you know, what that moment back in time is going to be. I really like the idea that, like, the setup for this, this uh, you know, this sequel is going to be, oh, we're going to start a little bit back in time. So we're going to DH Harrison for a little bit. And we're going to have a little piece of something that happened between the other movies that we haven't seen yet. And then we're going to move forward. So then that way we know how this fits in with the other movies. I, I think this is a great idea. I also dig the fact that, like, they went full practical everything for this. So it's going to look as beautiful as, like, Last Crusade or, or Rogue One. Think about that. You know, that that's a Star Wars movie that was shot so much practical effects. Things, things like Mandalorian with how much they actually added to to the like the quality and depth of the set just by staying practical with most things. So I'm hoping that this Indiana Jones will be a just an adventure and it'll be exciting. And you know, I I, I wasn't very disappointed in Indy Four. I don't know why people were terribly disappointed in Indy Four. I thought it was kind of funny that like we take a break from all of these crazy like gods and Nazi stories and we go to oh look. Nazis and aliens, and people are like, nah, it doesn't work for me. That's silly. And it's like, wait a minute, guys. Like, have you played the video games? Have you read the novels? Have you, like, checked out the comic books? Any of these other things in the places where, like, Indy's gone? I mean, for Christ's sake, he's he's already, like, bridged time and discovered Atlantis and all these other things. So, like, I just don't get what the the disappointment was in in him finding ancient aliens when, like, by the numbers wise, like that's all everybody watches on uh, <laughs> on History Channel besides Secrets of the Luftwaffe. So, <laughs> so I enough about building up four and trying to retcon your feelings on it. But I think five. I really think Indy Five is going to be top of the game. It's going to pick up at all the excitement where three left off. We're we're going to. I, I feel that there's going to be like a smart way where we're just going to forget four happened because of what they're going to do with this. <laughs> but only time would tell. So we'll see. We'll see how exciting the trailer looks. I'm definitely going to have something to say about it after it drops. So, uh, you know, be on the lookout for that in the next Entertainment Weekly. Moving forward. fast-paced world where many people are too busy to sit down and read books or news articles. But thanks to Newsly, you can now listen to the news you wish you had the time to read. By utilizing AI technology, a natural human voice reads you the news, helping you grasp the information faster and more efficiently. Newsly provides the latest news updates 24-7, letting you browse articles from topics you choose. It even has podcasts, including ours. 
and listeners of Rabbit Holes can get their first 30 days of premium for free, allowing you to enjoy an ad-free experience by using the special promo code in our episode description. So download Newsly today for free on iOS and Android or visit www.newsly.me so you can stay updated on the things that matter to you. I have been watching Avenue 5 on HBO Max, which I don't know if you guys are big Hugh Laurie fans. The show is definitely like it's it's taking some small steps backward because you can kind of tell there's a little bit of a quality change somewhere in there in this new season. But I really like where the how they've managed to just continue to add layers to the we're lost at sea. They've managed to take love boat and cross it with lost in space. And now we're in the middle of, you know, having to deal with there's a there's a rocket that's about to hit this ship. And so as as it stands right now in the series, uh, the ship magically can split in half because, uh, you know, the guy who bankrolled it is a crazy numbskull and wanted to save money. So he's like, hey, this is just convenient plot device here. This works, <laughs> which I mean, in the vein of being like you know, a wonky British comedy in space, it makes sense. So it's it's silly and it continues to make sense. And I will have to say that like the whole the whole couple episode run this season of of the elections of of who's gonna run the ship and then everything comes back around to Hugh Laurie's character, even though they like dumped him, put in de facto leaders, and then they're just like, We want the T V version of you. Cause this whole time there has been a TV show playing of their adventures because they've been essentially like taking things from the security feed, sending it back to earth. And then earth writes a TV drama off of it. And that's when they find out that they're going to die by missile because they get the episode before the missile hits them, which I don't think that, you know, those guys down on earth didn't figure out. But I think where the crazy thing is going to come in is that they did notice a asteroid that has lithium, which in this dystopian timeline earth is running out of lithium you know no batteries no phones no anything so i think it's kind of like a funny reality based thing that they add in there and so i have a feeling that them splitting might actually like lead the missile to just passing through them and if they're really lucky it's going to hit that asteroid and then they're just going to have to try to figure out how to get the ship's back together <laughs> or something i don't know how that's gonna work but i mean i i think it's it's crazy that the ship is now split in half and and there's a missile coming and there's there's an asteroid that could solve their problems and well we'll find out but in crazier things we've seen on hulu chippendales welcome to chippendales now i don't I don't think I've I've ever mentioned this before on the show, guys, but like I have seen like everything there is to see about like documentaries and 2020 and Dayline specials and like podcasts about Chippendales. And I have this like morbid fascination with like Steve Banerjee and Nick Denoy and all these guys and like just like that whole era 
of just like it, it was crazy. It was exotic. So, all right. So I'm gonna break down the first two episodes, and I'm definitely gonna be watching the rest of this series and reporting on it every week as it comes out. But two episode premiere. All right, and we kind of we get to see like origin story, and I gotta say, come on, Anjiani, genius! Oh my god! Like I like thinking about like who would put together a show like this, and then like so you got Pete Siegel, you know, and then come on, Anjiani, put those two together, and it just man. The, the craziest thing was watching the, the opening sequence. I watch the opening credits every time now. I mean, I've only watched it twice, but, like, I'm probably going to watch it every episode because it, like, has this, like, GTA-esque loading screen look to it. It it sells the sex in the industry. It gets you in the mood for the show. It really does. So, like, first episode comes in, and we, we get to meet Soman and his life at the... Uh, gas station and in a quick like you know this is your life type of scenario we we walk through all of the what pushes him to go on his way and to start his club which he goes from gas station attendant and some money in his pocket to opening a bat gaming club which is like the craziest thing like he names the place destiny 2 because he thinks sequels grab intrigue and he thinks oh so many people play bat gaming they're gonna want to smoke cigars and play bat gaming <laughs> But I don't think he got it. So then he runs into this guy, Paul Snyder, and it leads to gimmicks like oyster eating contests and mud wrestling. But then one night, he finds himself looking at the you know this man meat entertainment at a gay bar, and he thinks, why why aren't we doing this for women? Why aren't we doing this for women? <laughs> and as you know, history follows. And he starts the first all-male review for Women to Come and Watch. He runs into Nick DeNoia. And in the two episodes, we get to meet, like, nearly nearly everybody important to this, to the point to where, like, we even, like, the whole Paul Snyder thing is come and gone in a matter of an episode. Now, I'm sure they're, they're going to have this come back sooner rather than later with how everything, like, tips up. But, like, it really just does go to the background as we get into the whole Nick DeNoia relationship. Um and so, you know, Nick puts a great show together. We we meet dancers like Otis, and then Steve runs into Irene at the club, and and everything just seems like it's taken off. And that's where we are right now in the show. It's like it just it seems like that all that all that fun and all that sex, the air of intrigue on everything, like they managed to put a lens on it that even if you do know everything that's about to happen, you're like, this is sexy fun. I could do this. I could do this for a while. Yeah. I And I got to say, like, I get excited watching it, the way that they put it together. Like, it's not too over the top with the showing the uh, the dancing stuff, but they do it in a way that's just like, you know what, dude, that's the whole intent of Chippendales. So, like, it, it, if you're a true crime person, if you're also, like, a, you know, pop culture history person if you're like there's a lot of check boxes that like the story of chip and Dale's covers so like so far super worth it and i can't wait to see what happens again next week and i'm so glad i found another show since a lot of them are off air right now so this is a really good like mid-season change up all right so the big one 
All right, I didn't talk on this the week before because we kind of had it off, and then I come back after Thanksgiving, so you know what this means. Black Panther 2, Wakanda forever. All right, first of all, like, they handled the Chadwick scenario so well. Just, like, that opening and just, like, how, how they can have a whole scene without him in it, and then we lost him, even though we've already lost him before, and just, like... The the silent open on the Marvel banner and everything's just Chadwick inside of the scroll and all that stuff. Genius. Beautiful tribute. And and at that point we're we're really just like dropped into Shuri's lap because there is no more T'Challa. So so now we're we're following Shuri as she's she's far from becoming the Black Panther. And I think that that's what's great about this movie is it takes a long time for her to get in the suit. So it is far more a, like, a how is she ready for this mantle? How is this mantle going to come to her? Which, when she finally does take the herb, you know, and who she sees, you know, and if you haven't seen it yet, I'm sorry, but we're at the point of like, we're going to break a few spoilers here. So if you haven't seen Wakanda forever yet, just skip along. All right. Uh, but the whole idea of her seeing Killmonger instead of seeing her mother, she wanted so bad to see her mother. And I feel like the biggest reason why she didn't see any of her family, like if we're going to play into the mythos here, like she wanted to do it on that dirty cold slab inside the lab. She didn't want to, like, pay any respects to, like, I am not a religious or spiritual person. But you you were going to tell me that I was going to, like, receive some sacred power and it might just, like, unlock my mind and teach me something that I hadn't been open to yet. Like, I would listen to everybody and just be like, all right, bro, all right, prove me wrong. And then when you do, mind blown. You know, so I think that that's Shuri's big lesson is, like, detaching her from her ancestors just to teach her why she made a bad choice and that even though that she's you know capable and deserving of the mantle it comes with a heavy price which she exercises that price like even before she takes the mantle that's when she proves that she really was ready for it but the steps she took to get it it just you know but that's a lesson learned so Namor the submariner bro like, it's sad that we're not going to get a standalone film just because his rights with Universal, et cetera, et cetera. But this, this is a great freaking Namor movie. All right? Like, what they've done to upgrade Atlantis into Talokan, giving it a much richer history. There's just so much more added to the value of it as you watch it again. And I have to say that, like, this was the right step. It was, it was a great step. And the the length of the movie actually helped because they really did shove two stories into each other that that work alongside each other that have happened in the comic books before, especially this iteration of Shuri's Black Panther and Namor. So it's it's definitely a ripped from the Marvel headlines thing. So I mean, for anybody who's like, yeah, but you're not the Black Panther. Oh yeah, no, but what about with the Submariner? It's like guys, 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 this has happened before. So there's there's nothing there there's no mischievous, like, woke washing going on here, which, actually, we're going to have a s- small moment here. I find it funny that, like, the base conversation in Black Panther 2 and Black Adam are nearly the same thing. Because, like, 
intergang in Black Adam is imposing American imperialism and the JSA is colonially just letting it happen. Meanwhile, Wakanda is dealing with everybody wants their vibranium and like the French and everybody are trying to steal it with fucking secret ops teams. And then meanwhile, Talokan gets pulled into this too because people just found out that it's in the ocean. And so now we're caught in a geopolitical drama because imperialist tactics of trying to strip mine resources out of countries that aren't their own bro <laughs> so like it's it, it's really funny because when you put the whole like eternium vibranium conversation next to each other they are clones of each other it's really just that it's apples to apples on this but i had to say the biggest winner out of wakanda forever mbaku like they they had him grow up fast, which was great because like he's always been like a, you know, he's had his smug moments, but he's a very like smart and and tactical king, and I thought that like, just the post T'Challa's death changing of Mbaku was really important because now seeing him like the biggest spoiler of them all at the end of the film is him just like showing up to claim the right to be king because Shuri's like, no, I'm going to go be Black Panther and I will serve the king. And Mbaku is the king. Which, like, if we get to a, a third Black Panther movie at that point, that's legit because we're going to have, like, King Mbaku giving out orders, like, world relations. This is going to be some Civil War event level stuff, which is going to be great. And it's also going to make it possible for, like, sending Shuri off to the Secret Wars because, like, we kind of will be fine without her. And then maybe... She'll come back with a multiverse T'Challa. <laughs> but worth it every step of the way. Um, no surprise in the box office on it. They've doubled the what you know, they doubled their return. So the movies are paid for itself and it hasn't even gone to Blu-ray or Disney Plus yet. So watch out for it when it goes streaming, guys. It's gonna be great. Uh speaking of streaming, our last thing today and of the uh Marvel uh cinematic universe the guardians of the galaxy christmas special just dropped and i have to say in a matter of 45 minutes it was an entertaining romp it was exactly what we needed to remind us that the guardians are right around the corner and they'll be coming soon with another movie um and just the whole idea of stealing kevin bacon and even funnier that kevin bacon's not like the biggest christmas guy but then he like he puts on the full ham and he makes it a great show kevin bacon's great and hilarious in it uh, you know, they didn't overuse the cast. There was definitely a very practical element to all of it. Uh, the jokes, the jokes were great. I love the fact that we get the whole Mantis reveal of I'm your sister. And then we get to meet Cosmo. Like, nowhere is going through change. And we get to meet a, a young Cosmo hanging out with Rocket and trying to rebuild the place. So I, I dig, like, where that's going with that. And the, the, the best, the best surprises. Um, I thought that Groot's presence at the end were kind of cute because it looked like they were like concepts made by like the production design team. And so then when they get to the end and there's him holding the gift of him holding the gift of him holding the gift, I thought that that was very like James Gunn hilarious. Uh, so tip of the hat to that one. But ultimately the best part is that Nebula got Rocket the Winter Soldier's arm for Christmas, and it's canon now. This has got to be, like, the funniest, like, end-of-an-era joke that you can have is just, like, the look on Rocket's face as he opens the box, and everybody's like, what's that? And it's like, <laughs> it's Bucky's arm. 
And that is the greatest gift of all is the resolution of that joke. A long time coming. And it is the most guardians thing you could do for Christmas. And I thought it was a great joke at the end where we got Kevin Bacon saying, I'll see you for Easter. And then we got the anchors. Well, now we got to do another Christmas special or something to that effect. And so I, th- I think we're, we're probably going to see a little bit more out of the Guardians than just their one movie. And it might be our way to uh, get James Gunn back occasionally now that he's moving over to D.C. Well, thank you guys for joining me for the Entertainment Weekly. This has been fun to gab about. But I will see you next time for the Maui Weekly. And woof, we got some crazy stuff going on Maui. And uh, can't wait to talk about it. All right. Until next time. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs>